0: Welcome to the planet, welcome to existence. If you exist, you have to move. You can't just stay still. And then that begs the question of where are you moving towards? What gives you meaning? So we're starting a new series called Christism and Atheism. It's a four-month series, Brace Yourselves. There's just so many topics to be covered when we talk about things like, where do we come from? What is the purpose of my existence? Love, pain, suffering meaning. And today, I get to talk to you about reality. And one thing that I know about reality is sometimes I want to run from it. An example is if you are in first grade and you wet the bed at a sleepover, what should you do? You should roll the closest sleeping kid onto your spot and then pretend you're asleep. (laughs) Problem solved. Don't ask me if I know that from personal experience. The point is that we run from reality. And a reality that I ran from for a long time is this sense that I didn't measure up, that I wasn't what I could be and what I should be. And then Jesus says that God doesn't love you because you're good, but he will make you good because he loves you. I want you to stand up with me. If we believe that God is creator, and that our purpose is derived from him, and he is the one who says we have value or don't have value. We should be able to rest in the security, not the insecurity of the world, but knowing that it is his house, amen? So turn to someone, we're going to sing about that, but turn to someone and ask them first when the last time they wet the bed was. Hey, you got to stay here. Oh, sorry. You played to pray. Oh, that's Remember, right. Remember? Oh, that's, that's right. How, that's, that's how it right. works. That's how it works. <laughs> so something about reality is that what we just observed was someone struggling to perceive what was real or what was in front of them and make sense of it, right? Yeah. You made the, the logical deduction that it should only be something that would fit in the top black box. That's true. So using logic in your human experience, Yes. yet you were still surprised by something that was right in front of you. Yes, Right. that's true. And you touched my face. <laughs> yeah, you did. Speaking of faces, I want to take an opportunity to pray uh, for two of the most recognizable faces in our Southbrook community. John Glister, will you come up here? Uh, so John and Kathy have been here since. Yeah, give them a hand. We did pretty good. on the game. Creepy. It was creepy. Yeah, sorry, dude. I licked her hand. It was all for show. Okay, so John John and Kathy have taken the call to lead the Southbrook City Lights mission, to be the City Lights Pastor of Southbrook. And what is significant for me to get to lead this moment is that I have been a recipient of your mentorship, your presence, your faithfulness, all these things. Uh, So it's only natural that I would want other people to benefit from your lives the same way that I have, right? So what I'm going to do is invite you to pray that prayer with me, to ask God to continue using them in even bigger ways than they imagine through their faithfulness. Have you guys been here since the mid, late 90s? 95. What? 95. Yeah. Talk about faithfulness. One of the phrases that we use around here uh, comes from Jesus talking to Peter, and he says that, upon this rock I will build my church. And every person who has joined the movement of God's church since then is a stone on top of that stone. And you guys, because of your faithfulness here, there are tons of other stones built on your shoulders. And we celebrate that. We're going to pray for God to put more stones on your shoulders because your faithfulness can withstand it. All right? God, we thank you that there's nothing more compelling than... A person who goes out of their way even at the expense of their self-interest, their self-preservation. But there's this transcendent goal of loving sacrificially. And Kathy and John have experienced that in a profound way, and then they have gone on to pass it. Thank you for their presence in my life that has affected a trajectory that I'm very grateful for. I pray that they will have opportunity after opportunity that you will give them the, the guidance through your Holy Spirit of the character needed to, to remain faithful and to keep impacting people for your cause. I thank you for faithful people like this and ask that you would add more because of their effort in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Will you guys give John and Kathy a round of applause? Reality is is a funny thing. It has an if then consequence. A lot of us have experienced uh, some if thens. If COVID 19, then shutdown. We have an opportunity for us to engage. Uh, in an an event that will take place twice. So Laura Buffington is facilitating this online engagement. Uh, It's a platform where we make sense of reality through narrative and telling our story. It helps us uh, digest and explain the things that you've experienced. So you will want to go to hello at southbrook.org, email hello at southbrook.org, and say that you want to participate in the event, until one day. And generosity is really the idea that you have been a recipient. It is more blessed to give than receive. But after you have received, it poses the question of what will you do with it? Will you be a person who just absorbs it and that's where it ends? Or will you continue passing it along just in the same way that John and Kathy uh, have received the grace of God and then have continued to say, I want to share it, I want to share it, and I want to share it. Uh, so generosity is one of the ways that we take on the character of Christ and become people uh, who, do not, who do not exist just for ourselves. We exist for others. And your generosity goes to helping others. I want to go back to reality. Jordan Peterson says that in reality, if there is such a thing as reality then if you have a false relationship to it, that you will inevitably fail. So the question of what is reality is supremely important. If God, then... If God exists as creator and he is benevolent, then. This is a song that our community has belted out over and over and over. It's called So Will I. If God, you gave your life so that others could find life. If you surrendered, so will I. So this is a moment where you can consider and reflect on the if God reality. If he, then. And for many of us, you have already come to the conclusion that God does exist. You move to the so. If the rocks cry out, so will I. So if you want to stand, I invite you to stand. If you want to sit and reflect, you're invited to sit and reflect. It's about participating in reality. So people have been making money. They've been very successful with people who struggle with understanding reality, reality TV. Let me make my case. The Bachelor, I think I'm done. The Bachelor has many, many seasons. Only two-thirds of the seasons actually end in proposals. And of those five proposals, only a few actual weddings. So, when you run the math, The Bachelor has an 11% success rate. In other words, it is an 89% fail rate. Yet, you watch it. Maybe not you. I definitely don't. But I know some of you do. And there's no shame, though, this is church. But there is something to be said about the struggle of humanity to understand reality. What are our expectations? Will they actually become true? Is there grounding for those things to become true? I want to tell you about a little um, reality TV incident that I created. And thereby explain to you a couple things that we know about reality. So my daughter, Isla, is two and a half years old. This is a couple years ago. I have this red Jeep. The top is off. I drive around with them. They love just getting some sun and cruising with dad, right? Uh, This is like the only moment that I'm ever going to be cool to them. And uh, we get home one day. We're out for a cruise. I realize I have like three hours. Mom's at work. I'm going to get the the girls inside. We'll hang out, play, and I'm going to take care of some things around the house. Would you know if you uh, give a kid a potato chip in your car, they will turn that into a 1,000 broken potato chips. So I turn around when we pull in the driveway, and there's a 1,000 broken potato chips, and I think, oh, my gosh, I cannot stand that. I just got to get it out. So the girls are inside, and I pick up her car seat out of the Jeep, and I set it off into the yard, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to come back to that. Run back inside, play with the girls. Oh, no! We were supposed to leave five minutes ago. So I get the girls together. We... Hop back in the car, I grab her car seat and go, oh shoot, I never, I never really dealt with that. Throw it back in the Jeep, buckle them in. Oh no, I'm so frazzled, I lost something. I need to go back in the house for it. So I run into the house and then I hear a faint sound like this. Ah! <laughs> and it goes on for a really long time it's like 15 frequencies higher than that. I eventually come out to the garage and I'm looking at her in her car seat and I'm wondering, what's wrong? You're perfectly, nothing is hurting you. I get up closer, and there's about a 100 ants crawling all over her bare arms. And she's so little, she can't even unbuckle herself to get away from the ants. It's confession time. (laughs) Do you know the line they say, kids, don't forget, you get to watch your parents grow up too? That was a moment for her where she realized that dad was going to let her down. And the reality of ants all over Her body, that she was helpless in. And this brings me to the point that truth corresponds with reality. There was truth that ants were on her skin and truth that she, at that moment of time, did not know how to unbuckle herself. Therefore, her reality was a Joe Rogan fear factor reality TV show that her dad made, and I wish I recorded it because I could have submitted it and made a lot of money, but I didn't. (laughs) The other thing that happened is every time after that, We were supposed to get in the car, buckle her up in her car seat. Guess what? Nope, there's ants in there. No, there's ants in there, Dad. There weren't actually ants in there anymore. I hosed that thing all the way off. But her belief, while there weren't ants, she thought reality was there were ants. So her belief in that moment moving forward was not corresponding with reality because she didn't understand uh, that the car seat was no longer going to just be sitting in the yard for three hours because Daddy learned his lesson. But when a person believes what is true, they gain an accurate perception of reality. And so over time, through reason and experience, she started to realize, okay, I do not need to be fearful of ants in my car seat any more. So if reality exists and we have a false relationship with it, then we will fail, which begs us so many questions. And I want to convince you today, this is the only thing I want to accomplish, is to explain to you that I think there is one supreme question that we have to ask about our reality from which every other thing comes from. And that is the reality, or not reality, of does God exist? Now, if you don't believe God exists, there are some unsettling realities. If you do believe God exists, there are some unanswered realities. Now, something, I need to make the disclaimer, something can be unsettling, and it can be true. For example, your teenage daughter's boyfriend. (laughs) It is true that he is her boyfriend, and when you met him, it was unsettling. (laughs) So something, just because it's unsettling, doesn't mean it's not true. It can be unsettling and true. There's the words of a philosopher that for me characterize what the unsettling indicates for me. When I notice an unsettling in my reality, what do I want to do? I want to get an understanding of how I'm supposed to interact with that thing or give me answers for what it is and what I can expect. Pascal says, What else does this craving, this unsettling experience that I have, and this helplessness proclaim that there was once in man a true happiness? Of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God Himself. Now, like I said, if God does not exist, there is something unsettling. A few years back, the New York Times published an article with a naturalistic worldview, and uh, one of its readers responded and uh, was actually documented as a response to this article, and this is what they wrote. There are over 30,000 galaxies over 13 billion years old with how many trillions of stars and many more trillions of inferred planets? So how significant are you? You are not special. You are just another piece of decaying matter on the compost pile of this world. Wow. Nothing of who you are and what you do in the short time that you are here will ever matter. Everything short of that realization is vanity. So celebrate life in every moment. Admire its wonders and love people without reservation. I don't know about you, but when we try to communicate human thought, the if 30,000 galaxies, 13 million planets, you are insignificant. After a then or a so, you expect an explanation. So celebrate life in every moment, admire its wonders and love people without reservation is completely separated from the statement that he made from before. That is unsettling. How can I make sense of something that is called human value? In the atheistic, theistic debates, this is known as the problem of value. How do you explain that you have value? How do I explain that I have value? If it's from a naturalistic, materialistic worldview, and we are just biology and chemistry governed by the laws of physics, then there is no standard for which I can attribute my worth or your worth. Then you run into a whole nother problem Let's say that we can assign value arbitrarily. Who gets to determine the value? Because if it's you determining your value, and I say, no, I think that you're not as valuable as you think you are, the person that wins is the one whoever is most dominant or strong to assert their opinion. And when we look out in nature, uh, you could say, well, well, maybe there's an explanation in nature everything in nature shows that I want to eat you before you eat me and thereby preserving my existence and ending yours. That's a tough reality to come to grips with if that is the only explanation for human value. And now you could say that we've evolved and that I uh, assign value to you that is equal to the value that I have, but that is based off of the original premise of the naturalistic worldview, which would say, I care about you because I know that if I help you survive, it increases the chances of me surviving, which is still a self-centric perspective. Yet, you and I, if I were to ask every person in this room, do you think humans are valuable? You would say yes. That puts us in a weird position. If you're trying to... Understand the world and your meaning through a naturalistic perspective, but yet you also think that humans have value. There is an incongruent reality. Those two things do not make sense with each other. An author named Annie Dillard uh, explains how this makes her feel. She says, And everything I see in nature contradicts everything that I feel about right and wrong. Evolution loves death more than it loves you or me. The spring robin may die, and nature is no less pleased. The sun sets and rise, and the creek rolls, and the crickets sing. But I cannot feel that way about your death, and you mine. Nor either of us about the robins. We both value the individual supremely. Nature values the individual, not a wit. When I observe this creek, she's talking about this place that she is sitting in, and the nature surrounding it. In this world, either nature is a monster or I am a freak. We've got four months to talk through the questions about our humanity and our relationship to existence. I would love to give you every case possible in this moment about why I think you should believe in God. But the primary reason for me, personally me... Is the challenge of explaining human value. I cannot explain it without any other framework than Genesis 1:1, 1, 1, which says, in the beginning, God. If, if we take a moment and we and we examine what is in front of us and we decide, okay, I need to make a decision in order to know how to move through this world. And option A doesn't make sense, option B doesn't make sense, and we keep going down the list until we find an explanation that makes the most sense of our reality. What religion does, what theism does, the idea that God exists, is it says all of our value is relative to the value given to us by a divine supreme power that created us. There's a story about a man named Langdon Gilkey, uh, and he, in the 1940s, he's a Harvard grad. He grew up in the church, and he struggled with this idea of sin. He struggled with uh, what is the purpose, and he eventually concluded, while in his studies at Harvard, that... Uh, the most important thing was caring for humanity, but he didn't really have any explanation for it. He just thought that we have somehow gotten to the point where through human experience of trial and and error, we have realized that for other humans to exist, it makes my life more successful also. So he's moving through the world with this perspective, and uh, he decides to go to China to teach students English. And while he's over there, this is the 1940s, Japan takes captive the city that he's living in and places him in a concentration camp. This concentration camp is a square city block with 2,000 people and 20 toilets. It's maybe one of the most ruthless environments you can imagine a human being being in. And what he noticed is that all of these people from different kinds of worldviews were reduced to the same thing, self-preservation. So he noticed that the people who did not believe in God justified what they needed over what another person needed just because they could assert their power and their authority over that moment or that person and get what they wanted. And he also noticed that religious people did the same thing. The only difference is that they justified their behavior through uh, religious ideals. And he was left wondering, what is the point of all this? Can you imagine how disillusioned that you would be? And in a moment where it looks like everyone has a knife to their throat, we all became the same. So does our worldview even matter? But then he met a guy named Eric. And it threw a wrench in all of this for him. I don't want you to hear his words as he tries to explain Eric who lived selflessly in the middle of this mess where you would think that the only thing that matters is your self-preservation. So Langdon Gilkey writes about his friend Eric, "It it is rare indeed when a person has the good fortune to meet a saint, but he came as close as anyone had ever known. Eric was concerned for caring for the teenagers of the camp, and he cooked for them and supervised activities for them. He poured himself out for them. Eric believed in Christ, but that his salvation was accomplished by God's sheer and free grace. He did not believe that God loves you because you are living a good life, because you are charitable to people, just total sheer grace because of what Jesus did. In little we have a picture of what a human being could be. It says, If he was both humbled and yet profoundly affirmed and filled with the knowledge of God's unconditional love and undeserved grace, religion is not the place where humanity's egotism is automatically solved, this self-preservation idea, and why our lives both matter. Rather, it is there that the ultimate battle between human and pride and God's grace takes place. In John 6, we read about how, oh, I want to finish this quote because I jumped ahead a little bit. I'm really excited. We'll go back, all right? If human pride wins the battle, religion can and does become one of the instruments of human sin. We have all experienced the effects of that, and some of us have even participated in it. But if there's a self that does meet God and surrenders beyond the self-interest and and, and the grace of God, religion may provide the possibility for a much-needed and very rare release from our common self-concern. And that, for me, is one of the only ways that I can make sense of this thing, that we call human value. If I say, do you value the life of another human? And you would say yes, but then couldn't explain to me why the only reason is because of the value derived from the fact that they were created by a, by a God who cares deeply about them because who would create anything they don't care for? So then in Luke 6, 31, uh, we see this... This uh, person interrupt history, the person of Jesus. And he says this phrase that we're all very familiar with. We know it as the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Now, up to this point in time, there have been many philosophers and people that preexisted Jesus who said, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. I will not hit you because I don't want you to hit me. That's a pretty good rule of life. But it's isolating. It just says, if I refrain from interacting from another human being, then I will be successful. So Jesus takes it this step further, and he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And then he took it even further with this ridiculous statement. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. The grace of God humbles and affirms you at the same time that we are so broken and bad that Jesus had to die for us, yet so loved that Jesus was willing to die for us, and that is the grace reality. That is the reality that I choose to live with my life and it makes the most sense as I have moved through the world. Now, I'm not promising you a silver bullet that is gonna answer all of your questions as you move through life, but like I said, the most important question, this is the point of everything that I've said, is that there is no greater question to ask than, does God exist? C.S. Lewis says something that characterizes what the intention of the whole rest of this series is all about. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not because I see it, not only because I see it, but because I see by it, I see everything else. It's the if-then reality. If God, then this. If God, then this this. And to go back to the lyrics of this song, God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and through all of my pride on a hill you created. Talk about sacrificial love. The light of the world abandoned to darkness to die. And if you gave your life for them, so will I. I'll pray. God, I thank you that there that you cared enough to tell us that you existed. But then you didn't leave it there as if we should know something, but put our hand in a black box that something is on the other side, but yet we just have to reach around until we can finally grasp it. See, the thing about faith is, it also requires faith to doubt things. When I examine a naturalist worldview or a theist worldview, I have to consider which one takes more faith to doubt and which one takes more faith to believe. And this, this uh, God-shaped hole that I think each of us feel help us to examine and reexamine what is the reality? Is it a grace reality? from which I can find all of my being in the security that this is your house. Thank you for not giving us maybe a, a waterproof argument, but instead a waterproof person, and the name of that person is Jesus, and it is in that name that we all pray and said, amen. Amen. So uh, we want you to tune in with us on weekend hangover tomorrow. Austin, Laura, and I will be talking about some more of the consequences of the way that we interpret reality. So please submit your questions at hello hello, at southbrook.org. We'll tune in and see you tomorrow at noon. Until then, I will see you next weekend.